This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing Strange New Worlds Episode 6, called Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. That's a good oldie time Star Trek title. <laughs> but we're going to start with the news, and Tony is always looking for movie news. I know a lot of you are too. So we finally heard from someone other than one of the stars. We actually heard from Paramount Studio Chief Brian Robbins. So... Paramount's riding a high now because Top Gun Maverick is the biggest movie out there and it's doing really well. And people are saying it shows that people are going back to the movies again. And Brian Robbins is doing a little bit of a victory lap, even though the movie was developed way before he even showed up. But, you know, that's Hollywood for you. And Variety asked him about Star Trek and he, he said we're deep into it with J.J. Abrams, the producer, and it feels like we're getting close to the starting line and excited about where we're going creatively. So, you know. <laughs> so take that. Take that as you will. That Apparently, it's still planned for release uh, just before Christmas 2023. I would say it's still on the books. Yeah, you know? planned is a generous word. But... He certainly wants the world to think that it's still happening and they're just working out the fine details as it were, but uh, we still don't have a start date on production and, or even pre-production. And if they really, if they're going to make that date, they need to start pre-production like by August at the latest, I would say. And that's really pushing it um, more like July. So I, I just, I think they're not going to make the date. It doesn't seem likely. But he did say, you know, Paramount had done some market research on on whether this is the cast to bring back. And he described himself as a research nerd and said what the data tells me is the audience wants that cast in this movie. I mean, when he showed up, they did a kind of a, a rethink of things, I think. And, but they decided, yes, they definitely want to stick with this cast and this has been reported before they like did focus groups and all that kind of stuff and even after it's been years people they feel like it's worth bringing back this cast he also talked about how they're focusing on franchises and he threw out names of various franchises you know and he mentioned star trek amongst them you know mix in with transformers and mission you know kind of the big ones all of those have multiple movies in development. And he said, we're now working on multi-year plans for all of our big franchises, including Star Trek, because we don't want these big gaps of years. So I think you know, reading between the lines, it's not just about this movie. It's about this movie and the next movie. And they want to make sure that they're setting things up moving forward i do worry dc got into a little bit of this this is where dc ran into trouble as they were trying to set too much stuff up trying to do too much with their movies and they've had much more success just doing kind of one-off movies so i do worry if he's trying to bite off you know and saying okay jj i need you to make a movie that not only brings it back but also sets up two more movies Right. Or they do a sort of send off for this cast and then shift gears to give themselves more freedom. But it doesn't sound like that's the way he's thinking. Well, you could do both. You could create a world where they're not going to do any more full on Kelvin crew, but they do spin offs with one or more characters 
um, as standalone movies or they introduce new characters who will then go on to be, you know, right. so, you know, so we, you know, which, you know, Marvel does this very well. DC's had trouble doing this, but it can make something a little clumsy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so now the other bit of movie stuff, uh, Simon Pegg was at FedCon in Germany. We talked about this last week. So this is before the Brian Robbins thing came out and he was asked about it and he you know he joked i don't effing know what's going on well i love the way he did it because he said you know you've heard this exclusively at fedcon i don't i shouldn't say it i guess i don't effing know and then got a huge laugh from the crowd and he said the same thing that we've known which is everyone's busy with other projects they don't know when they can all get together they're trying to work on it he really wants to do it he said no one's being coy we're not keeping secrets we're just waiting for it all to come together yeah he he said as soon as they could figure out a moment where we could all come together we'll do it so it, it is a matter of at least from his point of view logistics and you know he said we all love doing it and we you know, and he talked a lot lovingly about, you know, what a big honor it's been for him to be part of the franchise and how he's and to be writing like that. He wrote Star Trek Beyond and there's some good stuff in there. He talks about working with Leonard Nimoy and he also talked about um, Quentin Tarantino's script, which it sounds like he saw. I mean, the Tarantino movie. Yeah. He didn't write the script. He described it as mad, but only he could do it. And since he's not going to do it, it's not going to happen. Right. But it does sound like the Calvin crew would have been part of that too. Um, but, you know, that's just never going to happen. So it's it's more curiosity at this point. Yeah. Um, we had a little bit of Star Trek Picard news, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Marina Sirtis was interviewed at a movie premiere in April. She was, of course, asked about season three. And she said... That it was really fun to do. She she described it as a great storyline and said they have great guest stars, but she would not say who they are. And when she was asked, like, are you guys just, you know, popping up here and there or are you in it a lot? She said, we are all in it a lot. Which I think is consistent with what we've heard before. The other thing is she talked a little bit about Star Trek Nemesis and she's been vocal about how she did not like that movie. Um, her and, and she, me both she's not alone I think all of them have said bad things about it even Brent Spiner who was very involved in developing it <laughs> and and you know she, she had a horrible time with the director and she so she talked about how on this one the word she used she said that the producers that the, the team cherished the TNG crew compared to how they were discarded with Nemesis so uh, yeah, and we know Terry loves these guys and, you know, was probably... He, he cherishes them. Yeah, he does. And he did say this is going to be, you know, and she talked about the, the proper send-off, which is the phrase that keeps on getting used for this. So Right. She also, they asked her, you know, could, there, could you see any spinoffs or anything? And she, I mean, she's just speaking hypothetically. But she said if, if season three is successful, why couldn't they do something with one of the characters? So, but she said, she also said she's not coming back to the United States unless they send her in a private jet so that her dogs will be safe and can travel with her. It's an interesting stipulation, but it sure. is, which makes me think that it's not going to be a show about her. No, the other tiny bit of Picard news would comes from Brent Spiner, but it could be 
significant. He was at FedCon. He wouldn't talk about it at all, he said, because of the NDA. But then he did say that he expects it to come out in February. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of news because we haven't heard a date before that's consistent. I mean, that's when it came out this year. So it makes sense, even though they're already finished shooting and they're in post-production. They're doing music now, according to Terry Metalis. But but they've got a lot of Star Trek to roll out. So it makes sense that they would you know hold it till next February. But I'm guessing somebody said that date to him at some point. Or right, he didn't just pull it out of his butt. He said, right. He, yeah, he <laughs> said February. And then he said, I don't know why it's going to take that long, but whatever, you know, because they were done in March, right? I think they wrapped up in March. I Maybe April. I don't remember, but sometime around that time. Yeah. Now he refused to divulge what character he's playing. So we still don't know. Uh, but he did say it's very different than season one and two, meaning the season. I still think he's probably playing his season one Soong character because it would be dumb for them to invent yet another Soong. They've already got a convenient Soong, so they don't need another one, right? <laughs> Everybody needs a convenient Soong. Yeah, they've got a, a Soong lying around somewhere. Um, <laughs> so They're sorting through the pile of Soongs, deciding which one they're going to use. Because, yeah, I mean, we assume it's all 25th century. So let's move on to another showrunner talking about Prodigy this time. That is our friend Aaron Watke, who we've talked about on the pod. He's a listener. So hi, Aaron. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Apparently Terry's a listener too. So hello, Terry. Um, <laughs> and all you other showrunners out there. And you're and all invited to come on our podcast. <laughs> anyway, I'm not really sure what provoked this. Because, uh, you know, uh, Prodigy wrapped up in February. When, when, when did season one wrap up? It was like a long time ago, right? It feels like just forever ago. I got to be honest. And it ended with the revelation of the USS Dauntless and Admiral Janeway. And he took to Twitter to just start talking about the Dauntless. Because I guess there was some confusion about what it's called and why it's called that and why it's designed that way. And he just went through, like, because... I'm, you know, it was from that episode of Voyager with Ray Called Hope Wise. and Fear. Yeah. Which I always think of the Ray Wise. It's the Ray Wise. Yeah. 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 It's a good episode. It was a season finale, right? I really like that episode. That's always been a favorite of mine. I think it, it was like it was emotional and it was exciting. It's a good combo. You know, he just tries to explain why they copied the ship and that it's a new ship and it's a, a ship class that they're why it isn't a prototype that there was apparently a prototype before it. Um, and then they made the Dauntless class, which is Janeway's ship. No, and people were, were surprised that they would name it that given the, you know, that it was a fake ship, that it was a trap um, in that episode. But he had some good answers, good thoughtful answers about all of these things. So um, go check out the article, actually, because you'll get a lot of good details for everybody who wants to know about ship size and class and registry numbers and the look of the bridge and all those things. This is going to be a major thing for the rest of the season, because remember, they're calling the next 10 episodes season one still, even though yep. there's a 10 month hiatus between them, probably. <laughs> but uh... but Janeway's looking for Chicote. And she's on that ship. And in fact, in Mission Chicago, we saw a little clip of the launch of the Dauntless. I think it was. It was like a recording. 
and Janeway was there and Chakotay was there or Chakotay was leaving on the, you know what? It's, it's hard for me to remember. Chakotay was leaving to go on the protostar. That's right. But Janeway was there and hollow Janeway was watching it. So did they make out? No, they did not. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I'm not a big JC shipper, but so many people are that I just want them to be happy. <laughs> I've never been it. I never got that. It's like he's a first officer. That would be creepy. Right. I think it would be highly inappropriate and weird, and I don't see how they could do it. But the show is just filled with all these little glances and touches and comments. So there's a lot of flirting going on, which is also inappropriate. I'm not going to get into it, but this issue is going to come up in our discussion of of uh, Strange New Worlds. But uh, let's move on. All right. Uh, oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. So we got a tiny disco update. Last week we said it looks like they're getting ready to start shooting soon. Michelle Paradise made that clear. She sent out a tweet with a picture from the bridge of the bridge chair. And it said something like, you know, Toronto, we're ready for you. Um, I think. Maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, they're already shooting. But I think next Monday is when they're going to start shooting. Well, I'm heading to Toronto in a few weeks, so I hope to run into all of them in the street. (laughs) Just hang hang out in front of um, Pinewood Studios. I'm sure you'll run into (laughs) it. I mean, I've been inside, but they won't let me back. (laughs) No. Before we move to Strange New Worlds and spoilery stuff, uh, there's a couple things you may want to check out on the site and in your podcast feed. You'll you may notice that there's a new Shuttlepod episode, kind of about well, ac- explicitly about Strange New Worlds, but also about the original series. Where, and it's a fun thing where they look at the original series characters who aren't yet on Strange New Worlds who haven't appeared, um, like Scotty and Sulu and you know, Kirk. Yeah. And uh, so it's a fun discussion. Yeah, it's based on an article Kayla did a couple years ago when Discovery was premiering, where she took stock of where everybody was at that time. So it's it's basically the same premise. And I found it a lot of fun to listen to. So you will, too. Now, speaking of the original series, we've got a bunch of you know merch stuff on the site. Usually we don't cover this that on the pod, but there's a somewhat unique item that was announced this week from the toy maker Tomy t-o-m-y who are new to star trek and they're going to be releasing multiple star trek products and their first thing that they announce is a die cast uss enterprise and you're like oh well you know we've seen that a million times (laughs) eagle boss must have made 50 of those but what's different about this one is it's over two and a half feet long and it weighs 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah, it's just huge. Um, and it's really a lovingly detailed design using the Smithsonian model. And a guy who consulted with Smithsonian on the real one is working on it. It's got lights, lots of lights. They've taken Roddenberry's idea that was never really shown on the show of saucer separation seriously so that you could actually separated it into two pieces although some people think that kind of ruins the look of this because you could see the seam of where the saucer separates and but uh i think it's kind of cool well you might need to separate it just to get it into your house it sounds like <laughs> yeah it's big um and now what what they're doing is they're looking for pre-orders it's six hundred dollars which is not cheap but not bad for what it is really there's like a month long 
period now until early July. If you pre-order the model, you'll get it next year, but they'll only charge if they get enough pre-orders to crowdfund, essentially, uh, a limited edition run of these. So there you go. a smart way to do it. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move into some Strange New Worlds news before we start the review. So if you're trying to avoid spoilers, then shut off this podcast and run away. That's my (laughs) advice. Um, We did get an announcement about a new character who's going to be in at least one episode. Do you know if it's more than one episode? No. We don't, right? All that's been announced is one. Right. Appearing in episode seven, which will be what we talk about next week. It is a non-binary actor playing a non-binary character. Uh, The actor is Jesse James Keitel, and the character is Dr. Aspen. Jesse is a transgender woman. She's in the new Queers Folk, and she was on the show Big Sky and kind of made a big splash because it was the first, I think the first trans woman uh, regular character on a network TV show. That's all we know. Uh, it's a it's a, a doctor character, uh, humanitarian aid worker, who used to be a Starfleet counselor. Yeah, but shifted careers after some experience on a on the Federation border. And there's something with this character and Spock, uh, but you know they they develop a surprising connection. Apparently. Right. Um, and also, um, the actor uh, said that it's a lifelong dream. Posted on Twitter, saying that it's a lifelong dream. So this is a this is a Star Trek fan, another Star Trek fan joining the cast, which is always nice. Now, a couple of uh, little updates on Strange New Worlds. We know that for season two, which has been in production for a while, Paul Wesley from The Vampire Diaries is going to be playing James T. Kirk. And we've all been wondering, like, how much is he actually going to be in the show? Yeah, is it one episode? I mean, they sent a picture of him out. They sent a press release. So it always felt like it's going to be more than one episode. And so Christina Chong was, you know, did an interview and she didn't really say anything about the story, but she talked about this relationship that they have like offset and how they're, they have all this fun together and they're always laughing and that, and they're always holding things up. She talked about working with him for multiple days. So it sounds like, it's a recurring role, basically. Yeah, because she also said it's great to have him on board for season two. So it all adds up to he's a big part of season two. Now, yeah, and just a reminder, this doesn't mean that the show is transitioning to Captain Kirk. He's, you know, it's all already been revealed. He's on the Farragut. So this is a younger Kirk and Pike is still captain of the Enterprise. Pike is still the lead of the show. They have plenty of years before Pike ends up in his chair beeping yes seven seasons (laughs) they could do seven seasons with one year piece and and uh you know but maybe this is like they're playing the long game and you know paul wesley can take over in you know (sighs) in 2020 whatever you know or 2030 yeah i'm not too excited about that but (laughs) (laughs) keep that instant mount in there and we got a little more fun news via Twitter. So someone had posted making a joke about Roger Corby, but how Star Trek fans, you know, are waiting to see what what's up with Roger Corby, who was at Chapel's fiance and Akiva Goldsman saw the tweet and he just, he just replied, stand by. I guess it makes sense because apparently he went missing 
two years from where they are in season one, which means they're either going to have to pretend it never happened or they're going to have to get her engaged to someone named Roger Corby. So I suspect he's going to show up in season two. They're going to get engaged and then he's going to go missing and they'll probably do it all in like two episodes. I thought for sure they were just going to shift gears and we weren't going to see him. That was a big surprise to me. I'm not surprised at all. I I think they're going to handle it quickly and get it out of the way. But I don't think they could just pretend it never happened. Even though Christine is definitely different on this show, they aren't going to just completely ignore something that's so well established with her character. They're just going to add it on to everything else about her character, which doesn't. So it may be a weird fit. Yeah, no, I think it's a weird fit with her character. So it'll be interesting to see how they get her there. So I guess we should just talk about the episode itself. Yeah. You want to start? What's your what's your big picture overview? Again, I liked it. It's another good episode. It's it's another different episode than the ones that they've had before. What I like about this one especially is even though there's hallmarks of some Star Trek before, pretty much everything's new. New aliens, a new situation, and uh, we're learning more about Pike and his backstory, you know, th- there's some good, you know, sub stories uh, with Lon and Uhura and Mabenga. I guess once again, my only nitpick on this, and we'll get into this later, is they kind of don't know what to do with number one, although she kind of sort of plays a supporting role in one of the, you know, sub stories later, you know, but she doesn't even show up until like halfway through the episode. But otherwise, I liked it. And it's it's a big issue, a big idea episode and a big issue episode and has some very strong themes. And you know, later we can get into kind of the literary connections. But no, I liked it. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought like the pacing was great. I thought they kept adding. It was it was rich, you know, like there were a lot of characters and things going on and and all the pieces tied into each other which i liked all the details that were brought up in one part came back and kind of mattered and what i really liked about the the theme of it and sort of the moral the big idea part was that it had a thoughtful ending like it didn't say this is right or this is wrong it's it raised questions more than it definitively answered them yeah, they weren't hitting you over the head. I mean, they made the point about sacrifice and about suffering and about, you know, essentially income inequality, but in a sci-fi context. They weren't so hitty over the head as they have been on some things before. And no, it, and it and it left Pike very like that close we're going right to the end now, but that that closing shot of him where he's having a drink and he's looking out at the you know at them and just he is is clearly sort of tormented by everything that happened and i just i really liked ending on that note yeah and he kind of doesn't know what to make of it i mean one of the conceits of this thing because early on it's clear something's fishy with these people oh like immediately (laughs) but we have to believe that pike isn't seeing it right Um, and we know why he's not seeing it Right, because he has this personal relationship and he trusts her, Alora. And they're like grinning and smiley and batting their eyes at each other the whole time. And I, I don't, th- it's, I'm not saying he was distracted to the point of not being a good captain, but obviously it was clouding his view of seeing her in any way other than positive. 
Now, what did you think of that that first scene? So the, she shows up on, on the transporter pad. Number one is there. So she is there earlier. And I said she didn't show up until halfway. She kind of disappears and then reappears later. But it's 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 weird because there's, there's obvious flirting going on between Alora and Pike. And it's awkward, funny, cute. But did you get a sense of number one being, it's almost like she was acting jealous. It felt Oh, no, like I didn't me. get jealous. I got like amused. Okay. All right. Yeah. I hope it's not jealous. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I didn't get that's interesting. I didn't get a sense of jealous, but maybe I should watch it again with that looking for that to see if it's there. But I would say mostly I just felt like she was totally clocking what was happening and sort of thinking was funny. I feel like she could have played a role where she could have seen that Pike was not thinking straight because the, the sorting out of what was wrong with these people was left to La'an and Uhura until very late when they brought in number one. And I thought she could have played a bigger role in figuring that out and, and maybe even having some tension with Pike saying, you're not seeing it. There's something wrong with these people. Right. I totally agree. And I think there's, again, more missed opportunities with her. They need to sort of figure out who she is, map out her relationship with Pike and figure out how the two of them work together and then let her be the one to say that to him because somebody, she's the one who noticed it the most and it would have been appropriate for her to say, you know, you're not thinking straight and for him to be mad at her. We should keep an eye in things people say in the first act, especially aliens, because these aliens essentially gave it away really early on when they talked about sacrifice. I mean, he's called the first servant, right? which gave it away. I mean, in a way, I sort of liked the idea that of a leader, if someone's a leader, as a servant, because it's never how it works out, but it is sort of the idea of it. But it was so obvious quickly that that isn't what was going on anyway, and that there was going to be some kind of crazy sacrifice of that poor child. Well, they literally say he lives by the Maxim Science Service Sacrifice. Yep. Emphasis on the third one, obviously. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Capital letters on the third one. There were so many clues. The fact that they didn't join the Federation, even though they kind of seem like an obvious candidate because they have this idyllic, peaceful world. And, you know, she immediately doesn't want them to investigate the crashed ship. Right. Uh, That was like, that was a big red flag right there, Captain Pike. And, you know, we should talk about, we should talk about the short story. One of the reasons why I figured it out very early on is because one of my favorite stories from a kid is an Ursula K. Le Guin short story called The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas, which is from the 70s. It's like a thought experiment, essentially. It's basically about, you know, a society that's, idyllic and wonderful and incredible and everything's perfect. But the way this society works is one child has to live in suffering and squalor and uh, everyone knows it. That's the key. And they all acknowledge it and acknowledge this child's sacrifice. And And they they can't even be nice to the child. Like no one can be nice to the child. It's like the worst thing you could imagine, which is some miserable suffering kid that never gets a kind word or gesture like about halfway through the episode i started thinking oh wait that kid is is that kid you know 
No, and also this this short story had come up in Discovery season three. Yeah, I mean it's it, it was it was an inspiration for season three in a tangential way where they kind of started thinking about this, and that it led them to how the thing behind the burn is a child. But that's it's it's kind of just a bare thin. Yeah, that was connection. more of a yeah, like a loose inspiration. Like, oh, that's an interesting idea, and then I'll take it somewhere else. But this was basically that same. I mean, with it done very differently with lots of interesting details, but it's this exact same idea. Yeah, beat for beat. I mean, the title itself, yep. the ones who walk away from Omelas are essentially the people on the weird colony, the Prospect 7, you know, who, and in the end, you had the elder decide to go to Prospect 7. And because this in the short story, they say some people choose to leave. Those are the ones who just can't take it. They can't live in a society, even though they're acknowledging the sacrifice of the child. It's just too much for them, and they leave. And it, I mean, it has to make you think of the cloud minders a little bit as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> although that certainly predated. Um, although the, the you know the Ursula K. Le Guin story is also inspired by something from Dostoevsky, I think, or you know, so it's not the first. Right time, this kind of notion has been considered, but uh, I, you know, there's no way they didn't have their short stories out in the writer's room. When yeah, absolutely, <laughs> this was definitely it made for a good story. It made for an interesting story, right? Because the the message there, and and yeah, you know, and she they, they she does kind of lay it on thick at the end when she when Pike is like, oh my god, I could do this, and she's like, look, you know, you have suffering in your society at least. We're looking at it. We're accepting it. We're not turning away from it. We're not pretending it doesn't exist. We are, you know, revering it. We're holding this this nice, lovely ceremony about it. And it's all voluntary. Right. No, and look, it's a good point to raise, not just for Pike, but for the viewing audience who can be very, you know, we all can watch and it's easy to watch a TV show and judge. And then you have to realize, yeah, no, I mean, look, the reason people there haves and have nots and the haves have what they have because of the have nots. I mean, when they first mentioned that, you know, that the people who were attacking at the beginning with the ships that didn't have any power. So there were elements of the TNG episode conundrum that I felt, you know, with the supposed aliens, but I also early on, I immediately started thinking about insurrection, which is not my favorite Star Trek movie, but the, <laughs> I like the, insurrection. But the Baku and the Sona, you know, I, I started yes. thinking that that you know that there's a definitely a parallel there of because it was obvious from the beginning that the people attacking them were just some rando aliens that there was some something else going on there. Look, it's a good theme for Star Trek, and that's why it's popped up so many times. Yeah, but I, what I also liked how all of this played out on Pike specifically, like how he. You know, he was sort of reaping the benefits. He was being, he was the one allowed down there. He was, you know, having sex with, with Alora. And when he saw the cost, he was horrified. I think not just by them, but by his own participation, even though he didn't realize what was going on. Like he realized he'd been sort of blind to it. And then when he wanted to do something about it, they physically stopped him and he couldn't. But I think that's his whole, like he was, when he woke up after they knocked him out and she was leaning over him, he could not get away from her fast enough. 
there's a couple interesting aspects of it. One is the temptation because she was basically saying you could stay and we and you're never going to end up in that chair because even if that happens, we'll fix you. Yeah, um, because they have super magic technology, which we haven't right. talked about that, but their healing technology is basically infinite. And so he was essentially being tempted by her. And I found it interesting that even after all of this, she still wanted him to stay. And even though she was hiding things, she kind of didn't get why he was pissed, which I'm not sure tracks because she must have known he's from the Federation, how people from the Federation think and how he would look at all of this because she seemed kind of flummoxed by what's the big deal. We sacrificed this, this kid that, you know, every few years or whatever it is. And that's just the way things are and it's fine. And yeah, I mean, she also, I think just wanted him to want to stay with her. I think their, their romantic and sexual relationship was, was clouding both of them because the whole time she should like, when he gets invited to the ceremony, that's because it wasn't just because the kid wanted him there it was she wanted him there. So, you know, they were both blinded by their own feelings. Yeah. She wanted him to accept it. I think yes, she wanted yes. validation, even though she was hiding stuff earlier, she said, yeah, I want you to be part of this. So she was trying to invite him into this world, into her world, um, which she kind of sees no fault in it, even though, you know, she had the little thing of saying, well, I did some research. We tried to find another way, but you know, whatever, right. what, what can you do? We've got to sacrifice these kids. Otherwise our wonderful planet will go crashing into the lava below, you know, which is bad. Like that would be, cause again, this is, the, it's like the short story itself. It's a thought experiment. Cause once you get, if you got into the weeds of all this, like there must be a way where they could find a planet where, because they set it up where you're either living in squalor on a moon where you can barely breathe or you're living in luxury on these floating things. Right. And on everywhere. Stratos, apparently, you know. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, and, and like, how does the technology work and what's being plugged into his head and how many kids do they go through a year and all that kind of stuff. And, but they didn't get into any of this and I'm glad they didn't because it really isn't about that because the federation probably could have come in and says well why don't we just all move you to this lovely planet over here right right and everything will be fine you know and and but they've decided it's worth doing and you're right like that was the point was they've decided that they're willing to do that and they've made it part of their culture and so filling in all those details it just would have been to sort of check the boxes and it would have slowed down the story and taken out some of the emotional beats for sure you know, you know that Pike is thinking about these solutions immediately, but it, it takes away from the story itself. Yeah, and I thought they, they, it was a it was a tight, well told story. So let's talk about some of the B stories here. There's really two big B stories. There's the Babanga with the kid and his daughter B story, and then there's the Laan and Uhura investigation B story. I I like the Lawn Uhura one. It's another example of Uhura gets to, you know, continues her tour of the ship and Lawn's got all of her fun little rules. I loved how it opened because Lawn says, did you find your break restful? Meaning to chastise her. And Uhura says, super restful. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, she a little clueless as to the fact that she's being razzed for that. Oh, I think she knew. I think she said it on purpose. 
Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Well, fair I enough. think she totally knew. And then is it Ortegas who says there are no breaks in security because threats never take breaks? And I'm thinking, well, of course there are breaks. People have to sleep. Someone else steps up. <laughs> yes. Well, these are La'an's rules. I mean, yes. it's, it's like everyone on the ship is afraid of her, including the captain, apparently. Yep. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you? Be? I would be afraid of her. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Here's a question of like, how long can they keep up the lawn is just a hard ass thing? Is she going to, are they going to, I guess they've smoothed out her edges a little bit, certainly with when she's around Una, like, but basically every, with everyone else, she is just cold as ice, basically. I like it. I like it. I I hope they, they keep her that way. I don't want her to be softened up anytime soon. I mean, I think she stopped being morbid. But she's still, she's going to be tough and she's going to be a hard ass. And that's just who she is. And it's what makes her really good at her job. There was a little mention she talked about when they were uh, searching the wreckage and she was chastising her for touching something. And she mentioned how Klingons um, set their ships up to explode if you touch anything. Because we never got enough Klingon war during the first season, which was supposed to be all about the Klingon war for Discovery. And we know that Ortegas is supposedly a veteran. Yep. I think we, you know, it'd be interesting to explore some, learn more about the Klingon War, and maybe Lon could be a doorway to that. The Enterprise was somewhere else during the whole war, right? So, yeah, Pike he had no experience, but that doesn't mean people on the crew didn't experience the Klingon War. Right. Well, because if they weren't on his ship at that time, they could have been involved. Lon would be a perfect example because they just met in the first episode. So, right, she definitely wasn't on the Enterprise at the time. The you know the 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 Mabenga story. I don't know. It just it, it wasn't grabbing me. The kid was cute. The little girl is cute. Yeah, I have to say it's it's not quite connecting for me because I I have to like I want to know where it's going, and either she's going to be fine and she's going to be on the ship. Or she's just going to keep being in the transporter? Yeah, that'll get old. That'll get old. And then also there was that weird moment where he ex- was explaining like it's on a timer, you know, and, and then she disappears in the middle of, a, of asking him something. And he said he has it on a timer so it won't be disruptive. And I'm like, how is that not disruptive? It, yeah, it seemed worse. because like, It seemed from incredibly her, disruptive. From her <laughs> point of view... Like, unless he knows to be there, like, does she come back? Is he always, he must always be there when she comes back. Because what if the timer, like, you know, where she beams in and he's gone from her perspective, he just winked out of existence. I don't know. She, it, it must be just the worst for her. <laughs> this, this. Yeah. Uh, coming no, in No, it and seemed out. sad and weird and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then I was wondering, did the little first servant kid, like, did he turn her on or did she just appear like I was conf- like he said he went and found he went and found her well it sounds like that there's something that Gamal gave Babenga to not to cure her but to help so does it mean that she can now come out of her thing more well, often or I'm not sure I don't think it was about more often I think it was but I think it was the beginning of a the cure like he said I don't have the cure but I have some some research that should help but his planet, you know, he he's a doctor. They can cure. He said there's literally no disease. So why, why did he half-ass it? Why didn't he just give him the cure and call it a day? Because yeah. They, obviously, they want to extend the story. So they didn't do that. He said it was maybe the first step. 
Well, we'll see. It's a weird story. Yeah. And I, you know, if this, and that's the thing, like, is this all that Benga gets is, is this, this cure the daughter storyline. I just, hopefully he, we get more from Mabenga. There was some fun stuff with chapel here. She's just got a delightful bedside manner, obviously, but there was some good stuff with her and the kid. I thought, um, and I like the stuff with Spock and the kid too. Yeah. And I yeah. thought that everything they planted paid off. So I enjoy, and I like the way Spock spoke to the kid. And that seemed realistic to me. Like he was so um, respectful and listened to him in a way that like Spock would not be condescending towards a child. So I appreciated that. The kid spoke Spock's language, literally, you know, yep. not Vulcan, but technobabble at a high level. So. Yeah. But where's, where's Hammer? Like, I'm disappointed that we haven't seen him. And I felt like when they couldn't reach Pike, you know, and they couldn't communicate with him and they couldn't and everything was being disrupted, he would have been a good guy to ask for help. It is odd how Hammer was presented as part of the cast, Bruce Horak, but he's shown up just as much as Kyle and you know, Mitchell, who's one of the bridge officers. He said, you know, maybe he's out a little bit more, but um, I'm not really sure. Maybe there's going to be more of him in season two, but he's barely a recurring character at this point. Yeah, I want more of him in season one. Like, I really like him and I'm intrigued by him. I mean, he got a nice big uh, episode with Uhara. A while back, but I would really like to see more with him and I hope they do it. He's such an intriguing character and he's someone that I think everyone wants to know more about. Yeah. We got a little appearance from who I call Kirk bro. Right. Sam Kirk showed up just to be a little dorky and then leave. Yeah. Like pointless. Yeah. Really? Like, I guess the point was another person who's scared of Lon because he is clearly terrified of her, but yeah, he's such a pointless character. Um, he was used for a joke, and... He's you know. just a constant punchline. Like, yeah. he was a mustache punchline, and then he was an unconscious punchline, and now he's just a scaredy-cat punchline. Yeah, but he really... I mean, this episode did have a couple funny moments. You know, Pike did a uh, impersonation of La'an, and Ortega's had a couple of good lines, but this was a pretty serious episode, and I didn't think he really added much, and it wasn't really that funny if they if if he's supposed to be the comic relief he's not that comic i would agree and they could have done that scene in a million other ways i also think it's a little interesting that (laughs) pike keeps telling everybody that he knows his future (laughs) well not bring it up a couple times (laughs) he's told well spock he told told an entire planet in the first episode well that's true that is true. <laughs> I guess he just wants it. It's 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 his process. Okay, you know everyone's got their own process for how they deal with their inevitable death, and uh, that the is is sharing it with everyone. I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a blabber. I'd be doing the same thing, but it's just funny that it's supposed to be this big secret, and then he just, <laughs> you know, he keeps having a good reason to bring it up. This episode, I think, is an interesting test of the show in that. In no way does it rely on canon for anything. There's no big Easter eggs. There's no big references. I mean, there's, you know, it's a new ray. Everything's new. This is, this is what we wanted. This is a strange new world and with character development. And 
no real, no fan service, no nods, no winks. It felt very Star Trek-y to me. Like it had, you know, like it really just felt like, yes, that's the kind of episode that I've been waiting for. You know, the themes, everything felt very Star Trek. We don't need all of that stuff. Uh, you know, it's fun every once in a while, but it certainly works without it. Yeah, I appreciated that a lot. I'd say my only thing is like there, I feel like there are three characters I'd like to see do more. And it's as we talked about number one and Hammer and also Ortegas. It's time for Ortegas to shine in an episode. I'm sure we're going to get that soon. I guess this is episode six. This was another Pike episode. Yeah. So the back, you know, the back four probably going to get one for her one i think in a, in a mbenga story hopefully more number one for sure yeah and the pike stories are great he's such an interesting they've a character like he's an interesting character and they've given him complexity and weight and i really appreciate it because he's anson mount is really good at conveying all of that. That there's a lot going on with his. He sounds very casual on the outside, but I feel like you get this, this heaviness, of what's going on on the inside. So the Pike stories have been really good. Now there was one little thing that happened during this episode that I wonder if it's just there and and forget about it. But the kid or the doctor did something to Chapel's scanner. They've now got a super scanner. Hopefully they use it again yeah but but likely they'll probably just forget they have it and they'll just go back to their what what he described as an an abattoir because the doctor said the scanner was the equivalent of a butcher's knife until he fixed it you know he was very stone knives and bear skins yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was so classic for the bad guys to be the good guys the good guys to kind of be the bad guys he was set up to be this bad guy for sure. And but it just turned out he loved his kid and was just trying to do what he could to save the kid. And that's what made him realize that the things he'd believed his whole life needed to be challenged. He couldn't even go back to the planet where his kid was locked in the chair forever or yeah. for however long. I mean, that that is one question I was curious about and they didn't answer it is how long, you know, how many kids do they burn through? Right. Cause the, nice the, expression well because yeah. the, 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 they carried away a corpse of a child yep so, so right so it can't be that long because the kid was still a kid yeah like a year couple years maybe like a presidential term maybe four years <laughs> it's definitely not a long time right that's pretty grim yeah and it sounded like she knew because she said the next one and she referred to the next one as a she so they've right. already got kids lined up for <laughs> You know, to be put into the machine. Oh, it's it, this is a pretty dark episode. Yeah, uh, no, I thought so too, and I thought that was it's again why the contrast was so good. Like she's there with Pike, and they're giggling and rolling around in the bed and having a good time, and then suddenly, you know, there's this whole dark underbelly to everything that's going on on that planet, which I think is why he was so disturbed. So I think six for six for Strange Two Worlds. They're all good in their own different well i think you had a problem with i'm gonna say five for six (laughs) (laughs) you know but uh it's such a strong start for the series and oh yeah you know i can't wait to see what they do i mean what's funny is you and i both could have watched the next episode before this episode but we're kind of keeping ourselves pure as it were 
and not yep. spoiling ourselves. So um, once my review is written, I'm going to immediately watch the next episode because I'm so oh, yeah, excited I'm, about I'm watching it. it once this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> it was so tempting to watch it last night. And then I just thought, no, no, let's let's do it right. But this episode gives me hope that they do know how to how to move forward without all the fan service and throwbacks. But it, it, it feels to me like a bit of a pivot is the point I was making. You know, the first five episodes, each of which had lots of nods and winks and, you know, and the Gorn and yada, yada, yada. I'm I'm hoping that they are slowly but surely going to rely less on that stuff because they've established their characters and their universe and they don't need it. We'll see it. Obviously, Kirk is going to show up um, and Roger Corby. But and more. Uh, <laughs> I think there's going to be more Gorn, as you were predicting. And we're going to see Tribbles. So, yes, you know, we know that some of these things are coming. So I want them to trust themselves more. Well, they know they could do it here, at least. Yes. All right. So let's move on to our bits of the week. I'm going to start. Last week was the 40th anniversary of Star Trek 2. And one of the fun things that Paramount is doing is they're working with this ice cream company called Cool House, which is making Wrath of Pecan ice cream sandwiches, which are available in a special Wrath of Khan ice cream truck only. It was in New York City last weekend. Um, it's going to be in L.A. in July and at Comic-Con in July. I'm so bummed it was only here for one day because two of my favorite things on the planet are Star Trek and ice cream. <laughs> so a perfect combination, but it was in you know a certain neighborhood on a certain day within a you know a few hours and i just i was busy i couldn't do it uh, and i was very bummed by that yeah because it's going to be in santa monica which is a bit of a schlep for me but i'll probably check it out when when i go to san diego comic-con it's not like you can you know get one like you couldn't go get one and then save it and send it to me <laughs> that sounds like a suggestion no um, i don't see how you could possibly do that <laughs> well i mean like dry ice it's possible right well, in theory well, that's, I mean, if I couldn't schlep downtown to go get it, then you don't have to get dry ice. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I was just kind of disappointed that it was such, I didn't have any warning and then it was, you know, came and went. Oh. It's too bad that I guess this isn't a product they're going to be selling on their website. And so this is just in this truck on these days and that's it. Right. So, very, very exclusive. <laughs> All right. What's your thing? Well, my thing... Oh, wait. Do we want to also mention that there are Wrath of Khan screenings happening in September? Just a reminder. Yes. So uh, there'll be a link in the show note to all the kind of 40th anniversary things happening. There's a Funko figure. There's some other stuff happening. And uh, September 4th, 5th, and 8th, there's going to be uh, Wrath of Khan back in theaters. There's going to be some kind of special featurette with it as well. That's Fathom Events. Just like with... uh, motion picture last month all right let's move on all what's right. your thing so mine is i have been reading mel brooks's delightful memoir card called all about me my remarkable life in show business and he has definitely had a very remarkable life in show business but the crossover came which i had never realized this so i think most people know who albert whitlock is he created all the matte paintings for the original series you know like like Rigel for the cage and Delta Vega and, you know, Starbase 11, all these different 
things. And so he's had a massive career where he's done, he's worked on so many, he's worked on over 500 films and TV shows. He's, he's dead now. So, but he worked with Hitchcock and he worked with all these people. And so Mel Brooks, when he made High Anxiety, which is a favorite of mine, and he went to Hitchcock because it's a stand-up of Hitchcock movies. And he went to Hitchcock to make sure that it was fine with him. And Hitchcock said, listen, you should work with Albert Whitlock, who worked on a whole bunch of my movies, and he should help you with this. So not only did that start a great relationship between Mel and Albert, which they worked on High Anxiety, History of the World Part 1, and Spaceballs, he made him act. So he said to Albert, well, look, I want to use you in high anxiety and I want you to play Madeline Kahn's father, this crazy guy. And Albert Willick was like, there's under no circumstance, out of the question, I'm not going to do it. I'm not an actor. And Mel Brooks basically broke him down and said, you'd have something to show your grandchildren. It'll be great. It's not a big deal. And we'll surprise Hitchcock. <laughs> It'll be great. So not only did he act in high anxiety, he also acted in History of the World Part One as a used chariot salesman. <laughs> And I was just, I, I never knew, I didn't know the Mel Brooks connection. And I certainly didn't know that he made him act in movies that I've seen, you know, quite a few times. So just a great little, great little tidbit. And that, that book is filled with all kinds of great information. Uh, but that was the big, the big Star Trek connection. I checked to see if he talks about working with Patrick Stewart um, on Robin Hood Men in Tights. And he mentions it, you know, but he doesn't really describe being on set or anything like that with him. Well, I'm a huge Mel Brooks fan. While you were talking, I downloaded the book. It's the audi- great. The, o- it's... the audiobook version, which I assume is narrated by him. So I assume I it's fantastic. Wait. And I have to say that the book makes me laugh out loud a million times while I'm reading it. It's astonishing. So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week with episode seven of Strange New Worlds and all the news of the week. See you then.